Yo, what is going on, everyone? What is cooking? This is scriptwriter Steve. You reach my podcast, Barbecue to Movies. Today is September 10th, 2021. It is currently 11.32 p.m. here in Hawaii on a Friday night. Yeah, I should be out partying, right, with all my friends, but I'm not. I'm here talking to you. I have no life. What am I going to do after I get off of this podcast? I'm going to be fixing up photos from, for my clients, <laughs> editing wedding videos, working on some scripts to uh, work, 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 work. All right, people, I'm going to turn this music down. What, uh, what am I going to be podcasting about? Well, it's about Shang-Chi. And you know what? I really needed to, I guess, put this podcast together. You know, I haven't reviewed a movie for a while, but I thought I'd re- I would review this one. I have a few more that I want to review, but I want to actually review Shang-Chi. So um, I'm going to cut to commercial really quick because I just want to start talking about it. I don't want to, like, you know, waste some time with, with anything. I need to pay the bills, right? So I'm going to cut to commercial right now. And right after that, we're going to get straight into it. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's scriptwriter Steve with a shameless plug for my company, Dream Weddings Hawaii. So, if you want to get married in Hawaii, if you want to get your vows renewed in Hawaii, and if you want some family pictures in Hawaii, make sure you check me out. So, my website is dreamweddingshawaii.com. So, that's dream, weddings with a S, Hawaii spelled out, dot com. everyone i hope you're back from that commercial break it wasn't too bad right what it was it like about a couple minutes or something like that you had to listen to me plug anchor plug my wedding company and here i am ready to talk about movies you know i like to be fully honest with all you folks out there (laughs) you know it may have felt like a couple of minutes as i was gone for only a couple minutes well It's currently 1.48 a.m. in the morning on September 11th, 2021. It's the next day. I got kind of sidetracked. I was trying to sign up for my NFL Game Pass. Then NFL Game Pass wasn't working correctly. And then I got sidetracked. I wanted to watch the the Oklahoma Tulane game, which I heard was awesome. So I watched that. And here I am. (laughs) Three hours later. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. All right, I'm going to turn this down. We're going to get straight into Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi. All right. Okay, so turn the music down here. Let me put the other music on pause. And uh, let me try to find my notes. Okay, here's the notes and right in front of me. So, (laughs) now, I just want to tell you, before I start on this review, that this is a movie that I was not looking forward to watching. Um, I really didn't want to watch this movie because I was scared. And why was I scared? Because I thought this movie would be an SJW piece of crap. Uh, what I mean by SJW piece of crap? Well, I, I mean like Captain Marvel, right? Where you go in there, like how Captain Marvel did, with an agenda, just, you know, agenda to to right the wrongs that men had done to women all these years and just... Every scene and every single character has to do about women, women's femininity, women power, women everything. And, you know, you end up emasculating, you know, 
almost every single male character there is out there and uh, just ruining the MCU in one whole damn movie. And uh, I didn't want Shang-Chi to be that way, uh, you know, and um, but anyway, I was wrong. So what was I scared of? Well, you know, with all this stop Asian hate thing, this hashtag stop Asian hate thing that paints Asians as victims in America because those white supremacists out there, which I have no idea where the hell they are. Uh, let, let's just be honest, you know, white supremacists equate Trump supporters and, you know, those evil Evil, son-of-a-gun Trump supporters would just want to hate me, kill me, hang me from a tree when they see me. By the way, I am a Trump supporter, and I'm 100% Chinese. I have been across the entire nation, and uh, I have clients, most of them white, many of them Trump supporters, some of them not. I really don't give a damn. All treated me like human beings. And you know what? When I go to the South, I've been to those small little cities in there, small little towns, like in Oxford, you know, because I would go there to watch football. In Oxford, they have the Ole Miss, right? And I was greeted, nothing, nothing less than just the greatest Southern hospitality I've ever seen in my life. You know, it's like, you. I went into Walmart, and I literally made lifelong friends in freaking Walmart, all right? That doesn't even happen in Hawaii. You, it, I mean, where does that happen? I mean, this is, I mean, this is incredible. So those like Trump evil, evil Trump supporters, like those white people who just hate Asians, you know, are like support. You know, they're everywhere in the South, and you know what? I didn't find them, and I just didn't want, you know, this movie to be all about this, where you know this. Asian superhero just saves us from evil white people left and right and those ignorant Trump supporters. Well, none of that happened. Absolutely none of that happened. And you know what? Bravo to the director for not caving in to that BS. So that makes Shang-Chi a really great movie. It's not a woke movie. So all of you people out there who are thinking, holy crap, Shang-Chi is going to be a woke movie uh, and it's going to give, you know, it's going to be, we're going to stick it to those white people and it's going, to be about Asian, it's going to be about Asian pride. Well, you know what? It's not about Asian pride. It's just a good movie. All right. Now there's a little subtle things in there, like where I know the director's trying to, um, I guess, uh, expose America to some of our, you know, some of our culture stuff that, you know, some of the Chinese culture out there. And he does it so, so I guess, eloquently and, and minimally. And it's not pushing it into people's faces. It's beautiful. And um, so yeah, in that way, it's great. But it's not woke, you know? So I love it. I just love it, all right? Okay, so now, from now, here, here on now and about, about uh, there's going to be spoilers. So if you want to, like, you know, check yourself out of the movie, I mean, out of this podcast, because you haven't seen the movie, do so right now, because you know, I can't critically, you know, analyze this movie without, you know, exposing a few spoilers here and there. All, all I will say right now is that Shang-Chi is a great movie. You have to watch it, all right, if you haven't watched it already. There's a mosquito flying around here. God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Where did that mosquito go? All right. I think I'm going to get bitten. Okay. So anyway, yeah, Shang-Chi is a great movie. Uh, it's not really bloody. I don't think there's much blood in it, to be honest. Um, um, there's, not, there's not much blood. Um, it is violent 
but in a very, I've seen cartoons that were much more violent than this. Why don't we just say that? Um, it's not over-sexualized at all. I, I don't think there's any romance in there. Um, the romance is kept to a very, very minimal, uh, minimum. Um, what else is there? Uh, swearing, I think, is al- almost to non-existent. I mean, I'll have to watch it again just to see if there's any swearing in there. But I don't think there is. This is a really good movie. I mean, it's a really good movie, and it, and it's done very well with with uh, keeping everything really clean. So, again, if you have young kids who want to just go out and watch a fun movie, a good a good martial arts movie, or anything out there, um, this is it. Um, you can take your kids out there and have a really good time. Um, so let's get started into why it was really good. So if, you know, if it's not a bad movie, if, if, if it's not, if it's a good movie or bad movie, we always have to look toward the director because we always point the finger at the director or the producer and the directing in this case from a grade from A to F, we give this director, Destin, uh, a complete A plus. All right. So he did a really, really, really good job. So his full name is Destin Daniel Cretton. And uh, he was born here in Hawaii, in Maui. So uh, I live on Oahu. He's on a, lives on a different island. Uh, his island is a lot more rural than mine. I mean, Oahu is very much like a city. In fact, we're one of the biggest cities. And uh, I'm not trying to, you know, say, oh, that's a great thing. That's why he's a great director. But it's it's kind of cool to see another local's name in the limelight. Uh, we do have a pretty long list of locals who have made it to Hollywood and made it very, very, made it very big. Very, very, very big. So, um, so what I loved about Destin's um, type of storytelling on uh, for Shang Chi was that it was basically in hyperdrive. And what I mean by hyperdrive, hyperdrive is within a very few short scenes, uh, you pretty much knew who Shang Chi was and who his best friend was, um, and they were also likable from the get go. And even though they were heavily flawed, so we knew all their flaws, right? Uh, but like you know, again, they, you know, you know, uh, Katie just loved to have fun. Shang Chi, you know, he looked kind of like a, an almost the same personality as Katie, uh, even though they're different. I'll get into that later on. But it, you know, you really got to like them, you know, and and smiled at them. You, I mean, you're already in their corner from the very very beginning, um, and the audience didn't really have to wait for the action to get started because that fight scene in the bus. I think that was within the first 10 minutes. So we're, we're looking at, you know, uh, uh, I guess a story that got started from the get-go. Now, there are, are two main stories that move in parallel through the entire movie. Uh, one is um, Shang-Chi's life as a child, and the other is his present life. And these weave back and forth pretty seamlessly, and um, the flashbacks give enough to the audience just for them to sip on, and then... It keeps them thirsty for the next scene. And I love that. Now, I'm not a big fan of flashbacks. Um, I, I really don't like them. Uh, I've watched, you know, the TV show Arrow, the, the TV show Lost. Um, they do it okay, but I would rather just, you know, have a story be told without flashbacks, to be quite honest. Um, but when they're done in this manner, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's tolerable for myself, right? Um, I do prefer that flashbacks stop by the third act and just and just for it just to tell the story from then on there on, but in the, in Shang Chi, one of my only complaints is that the flashbacks didn't stop, even until the very end, until the until the main fight scene with his father. So in that case, I have to give it a little check mark there, but that comes more to my style than anything else. So. 
What I don't like are flashbacks that, you know, kind of when you cut back to a cut to a flashback, you seem to be in another movie. Um, they do that a lot in the Lord of the Ring franchise, right? When Frodo all of a sudden like uh, flashbacks to the Shire. And then suddenly you're like about about an hour long flashback or something like that, right? Uh, it just it's boring. It's really really boring. You know these flashbacks they feel like standalone movies, all right? So that's one of the things that uh, I liked about the directing and kind of dislike things. But you know I, again it's subjective things that I can kind of forgive about. Uh, but now another thing that I liked about his direction is that you know he gave the audience a light taste of Chinese customs. And uh, I kind of think about it, maybe a little Easter eggs for the Chinese community. Um, they integrated the Chinese folklore. Uh, you know, the, those Chinese lions in there, they have those uh, in front of every Chinese restaurant. There's two. There's always two lions. And for the first time, you know, I got to see those lions kind of prance around and in maybe their full, you know, height, I guess they're, they're in their full one to uh, I guess one to one scale version instead of this little lions that are in front of the the um, the restaurants or some schools or whatever like that. Uh, but those that was really really cool. I mean, those who saw the movie, uh, those you you know what I'm talking about. That was really awesome. Um, there was also some integration of uh, I guess simple traditions such as ancestor worship. That's when you put your I guess some of the your your deceased family members are still kind of like um, uh, prayed to kind of talk to, and then they have a picture of them inside of their home. Uh, none of my close relatives do that because we're all Christian, but I do know some of my relatives, you know, who are distant, who are have more of a, a Chinese traditional upbringing, do still practice that. Um, there's even these little quick scenes of uh, Shang-Chi removing his uh, slippers or his footwear, his shoes, uh, before entering Katie's home. And that's something... That is a, an Asian custom. Not a lot of Americans know that, you know, we as Asians or Chinese do that. So a lot of times when they come over to my house, they just walk into my house with their shoes on. And I know that's very, you know, common up there in the mainland to do. But even for us Asians everywhere, we do remove our shoes before we walk into our house. And to me, I think that's a good thing in a way because it, it keeps your, um, your uh, I guess, your carpets really clean. So, um you know, I, I don't know why you would walk into your house with muddy shoes, right? <laughs> or jump into your bed with muddy shoes. So anyway, and you know what? Even less subtle was this common practice of, the, of Chinese parents pressuring their children to overachieve and also to, also to get married. You know, thank God my parents are not like that. But, you know, my other friends, Chinese parents... Oh, so it was always about getting a good job, marrying a lawyer, marrying a doctor, or becoming a doctor. And, uh, you know, Aquafina's character, Katie, kind of hit that nail on the head. And even, um, you know, I, I guess um, uh, we'll call it Shang-Chi's character was going through the same thing with his father. So, you know, th those are the things that I really enjoyed about this movie, of, other than it being an awesome martial arts flick. Now, the martial arts were really great too. I really, really all loved it. And it's really great to see someone other, other than Jackie Chan uh, pulling off really good martial arts. All right. But what is the really cool thing that I think that that is really, really out of this world about Shang-Chi? <laughs> this movie fixed Iron Man 3. It really fixed Iron Man 3. And we finally got to see the Mandarin in 
all of his glory. All right? And not some freaking actor. Now, I'm going to get more into that when I finally talk about the script. And uh, that's about it. So, again, the director, director skill here, awesome. I give him a grade A through A through F. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I hope that he actually, um, I guess, is given more movies to direct because I hope I think he actually has a lot of skill. He and um, you know, here's the one thing. You know, he got my attention from the beginning. He held me in that world to the very end, and he made me smile. He made me laugh. I mean, he made me literally clap. At certain points, I, you know, I had to clap and say, "Oh, that is so cool," and uh, you know, not many movie, not many movies make me do that, right? So I'm not sure if that happened to you, but it happened to me. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. So why don't we talk about the script, okay? So the ugly secret to the movie industry, and I think I talked about this before in a lot of other movie, uh, in a lot of other, um, I guess, movie, um, I guess, movie. What are they called? Reviews? Is that um, most scripts, the films are literally written on set. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, um, that's when I was actually there, um, there would maybe be a minor rewrite or a punch-up done on set every now and then. But to write a movie on the set is almost unheard of back then, okay? Now, fast-forwarding to the present, you'll find that many storylines story and characters, um, they're crafted not in pre-production, but during production. Now, that's a no-no. That makes me really cringe. And um, so when you factor into the equation that movies are shot out of order, and again, you're writing it you know, during production, it's pretty much a recipe for the perfect disaster. That's why most movies, what you're seeing out there, they're all first drafts. It's almost impossible to like write a coherent movie out of you know that shot out of order on set like while you're doing it it's it's almost impossible and um, that's why like, movies like the rise of skywalker or the last jedi they don't make any sense like remember in you know the last jedi you know palpatine tells ray strike me down and then you know you know, do the same thing that like luke skywalker he wanted luke skywalker to do you, know, you strike me down kill me and i'm gonna merge with you and i'm gonna become pow- more powerful so what does she do she strikes him down and nothing happens, right? So right then and there, from one scene to the next, you know, you're, you're messing up on the canon, and you don't know that because they're, they're writing it right then and there. I mean, things are just all shot out of order. They say, oh, well, I think this is great for this scene. That's really great for that scene. Well, we're going to put them back to back in the editor, and oh, lo and behold, it doesn't really match, but that's all we have in the can, so, you know, tough it. And that's why... The Last Jedi or The Rise of Skywalker, it sucked. So not a lot of the other things that I thought was pretty cool about the script was the Easter eggs that were found in Shang-Chi that tied it directly to the MCU. Now, I didn't realize this, but when Tony Stark, uh, I guess, was captured by the terrorists in the first Iron Man, there was like a terrorist flag behind of him. Now, I thought this was just some type of, you know, you know, like a... Uh, a, a similar Al-Qaeda flag that they were using, but this was actually the Ten Ring logo. And this was the actual Ten Rings flag. So he was actually kidnapped by the Ten Rings. So the Ten Rings ironically gave birth to Tony Stark. 
Isn't that cool? That fills in a big plot hole in here, or not even a plot hole, just fills in another rest of the story, like how, you know, uh, Iron Man came to be and the Ten Rings were kind of responsible for creating Iron Man. Isn't that neat? And then we finally get to Trevor. Trevor, remember him? So Trevor was the actor who, um, I guess, played the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. And when again, when Iron Man 3 came out, you know, all of my friends and I were just, oh, this is going to be so cool because I was, you know, I became a really big fan of the Iron Man 1 in Iron Man in Iron Man 1. And as I got to learn more about him, you know, there's this character called the Mandarin, which was a Chinese guy, and he had these 10 rings. And um, you know, these, these rings gave him supernatural powers. Um, and each ring, by the way, you know, did, a, you know, did a different power. They had a different powers. Um, but in, anyway, when I heard that the Mandarin was going to be an Iron Man 3, I thought this was great. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the previews came out, we're like, whoa, this Mandarin looks like a little bit white, you know, and Rand the Mandarin's supposed to be Chinese. So I thought, okay, I'm okay with that, but all right, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And now we're watching Iron Man 3, and we find out, Iron, you know, the Mandarin is actually an actor, and we're all like, what the hell? Now, the movie Iron Man 3 was good, all right? Standalone, it was good. But it is equivalent to blasphemy of the highest order. Um, this is equivalent of like turning Lex Luthor into a cowardly actor for the Superman franchise, right? You would never want to do that to Lex Luthor, right? You, never, ever, ever. And again, the Mandarin versus Iron Man, this is like, you know, one of the most iconic, you know, um, I guess nemesis of Iron Man, the Mandarin is, because it's magic versus technology. And we never got to see that. So, for the longest time, throughout the whole history of the MCU, people were just pissed off at Iron Man 3. You, know, you, always, you always forgave it eventually, but we just said, uh, the Iron Man, really? That's the Mandarin? That's the Mandarin that we're going to have to live with? Trevor, that, that actor? Well, finally, Shang-Chi <laughs> answered our prayers, in a way. So, we finally got to meet the real Mandarin... And the real Mandarin's a pretty much a badass, and we also got an excuse why he wasn't there um, in the MCU because he was busy playing, you know, father to Shang Chi, right? And he had given up, I guess, the Ten Rings during that time, and he just really didn't care because he was a family man at that time. Okay, so that that was really, really, really cool. Now. The other thing about this, I want to also mention to you, is that this script is just really written well from beginning to end. Now, I took a look at the credits on this. Now, Destin, he's the director, but he's also a screenwriter in here too. So he must have had something to do with the story, all right, to get that screenwriting credit. Now, who is the main screenwriter on here? His name is David Callahan. I am not a big fan of David Callahan. I don't think he's a good writer, and I don't think you do either. Uh, he, what what did he pen? Well, Wonder Woman 84. That was a piece of crap movie. That had so many holes in there um, that you could drive a bus through it. He also penned that horrible Mortal Kombat movie that just came out on HBO Max. That was pretty much a piece of crap. Um, he also has claimed... To, written, to, um, to have written the Expendables or had to have created all the characters in the Expendables. And there's not much you know, of a plot to those movies. The characters aren't very original. 
But apparently he won a lawsuit, so he gets credit for writing the first Expendable, and he gets credit for every single uh, Expendable movie that comes out there. I mean, but Expendable is not a really great script. The only reason why it's cool is we get to see all those action heroes, all those celebrity action heroes in one movie, right? But it's not nothing to write home about where you say, wow, this is a really perfectly written script with no plot holes, great foreshadowings, great setups and payoffs, Easter eggs and everything like that. I mean, Wonder Woman, it kind of like messed up the, the DCU as well. You know, there was a lot of holes in there. A lot of holes in there. Like, for the main thing is, like, if all of this crap happened in 1984, uh, why did Batman not know about it? Right? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. I mean, you know, she's, you know, in the old DCU, you know, Bat, I guess in the original DCU, Batman said that Wonder Woman went into hiding for a long time. In fact, in, I think in the first um, Justice League movie or something like that, I think, I think when Wonder Woman first made his or her appearance, um, I think Batman had made a, I guess, a reference to Wonder Woman saying that, you know, there was no history of her at all. And here we go in Wonder Woman 84, she's out there being a celebrity. Like, everybody knows who Wonder Woman is. You know, that's a big, like, you know, hole right there. Like, why did that happen? And David Callahan wrote that script. So he didn't, he didn't care about what the DCU had already established, right? So if he had anything to do with this script... He wouldn't really care what the MCU had already established, but apparently the Shang-Chi was filling in all the holes. It was fixing Iron Man 3. So I think that when Destin was actually, you know, who has a, he has a, he doesn't have a long resume of, um, of blockbuster movies out there, but he has movies out there that he's directed that were carefully written, carefully, very, 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 very carefully written. And, um, and, and I think he took that carefulness when he wrote, when he came on to, um, I guess, uh, Shang, the project of Shang-Chi. And I think, I'm pretty sure he took a look at the, look at the script of Shang-Chi and he said, we need to rewrite this. Now, why do I th- say that? Well, another writer is credited on this script. His name is Andrew Lanham or, or Andrew Lanham or L-A-N-H-A-M. I have no idea how to say that name. And when I take a look at his writing credits, he has worked almost exclusively with Destin from the beginning of his screenwriting career to like what it is right now. So he got this guy who he, you know, worked with from when he was a nobody. And now he's going to have him working with him on Shang-Chi. So this guy, Andrew and Destin are now you know, credited on the script for Shang-Chi. And I think there have, they rewrote David's script to a point to what we see now. And that's why they have, you know, um, first, I think, I think second and third credit on the script. I really, really do. So because this screenplay is very, very tightly written. Um, there's no wasted scenes here. No wasted flowery, flower, I'm sorry, no wasted flowery dialogue. No agendas, no politics. I mean, nothing, right? And the characters are very easy to understand and believable. Versus, you know, David Callahan. I mean, he's he's making characters for the Expendables, Mortal Kombat. Those characters were like horrible. Their motivations were all off the chart. And Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman eighty four, not Wonder Woman one, which was a good movie. Wonder Woman eighty four, which was a monstrosity. 
that was just bad. That's bad filmmaking. So that's bad screenwriting. Now, um, I give this script a grade A. Now, if I'm wrong, you know, and again, you know, Callahan was the guy who wrote this script from beginning to end, and Destin and Andrew had nothing to do with it. Okay, fine. Foot in my mouth. Maybe I'm wrong, right? But I'm just saying, you know, why are their names, and why is Andrew's name on top of there? Because again, he's not no major Hollywood screenwriter. Andrew is a guy who worked with Destin. So that's all I'm saying. So that, I think, you know, um, going forward, I think Destin has more pro, uh, more, um, more um, scripts out there, more movies to do direct. I hope he brings Andrew along with him because I think that those two guys make a really good team. Anyway, they got a great A from me. So good directing, good script, and the acting I thought was great. You know, Aquafina, uh, Aquafina, she really can act. I mean, she just... I mean, she can do more than just comedy. I mean, I can see it in her eyes and in the way she sells her lines. Um, she can do drama really well. I mean, uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed every single actor in there. Um, no complaints about anyone, all right? And I also like Simu Liu, uh, who's my one of my favorite stars from uh, Kim's Convenience. Um, he can do comedy really well. Um, he's very, very likable. Um, and, uh, it, there's a few dramatic pieces in here that he did okay. You know, I mean, he's not no Aquafina. He's not going to win the Oscar for it, but it's good enough. He's, he really pulled it off, right? So one thing which I loved was that he's likable. And on top of that, he can, he can really move like a martial artist because he is a real martial artist. And that part I love. He's also very tall. Um, so he can, you know, for a martial artist to move like that when they're tall, that's some skill. He took. He has some major, major skill. But, but I do have one complaint about Simu Liu. His hands are pretty small, so when he does some of these um, martial arts moves and blocking and all that, and these little fist fist moves where he kind of, kind of like a, um, you know, puts his fist up there, they look tiny on camera. So if I if I had the you know, if I had a choice, I would say, hey, use the computer or the CGI and make his hands look a little bigger. Or use the wide-angle lens, right, to make his, like, you know, hands look a little bigger. That's just me, though, all right? So why don't we take a look at the characters? Now, we're done with the movie. Now, we're going to analyze the type of characters here before we exit out. Um, now, Shang-Chi, Sean, um, is a very interesting character as a protagonist because he is what we call a peacekeeper. So what are peacekeepers? And um, well, peacekeepers are usually not your hero type of characters. Your hero usually usually would be a type one reformer. That's like your your um, your your do gooder rule rule follower. You know, Captain America guy, um, a type or a type eight challenger, which is like your Wolverine, uh, a guy who's an asshole, you know, but yet does the right thing. Like you know, Deadpool, Wolverine, Maverick from Top Gun. Those are your type eights. Um, Shang-Chi though was, um, a type nine. And this is very funny because type nines, their first reaction to conflict is to cower. Um, they are not natural leaders and they will always try to talk their way out of a fight. You know, unlike a type eight who would jump head first into a brawl. So Shang-Chi, he chose not to help his mother fight, you know, when she was dying. Um, he didn't rest. He didn't return to rescue his sister from his father, right? Again, he cowered. He didn't defend himself in college, and he depended on Katie, Aquafina, to bail him out. So Aquafina, he did this for 10 years or something like that, right? So much so that Aquafina was, I mean, Katie, I keep calling her Aquafina, but Katie was so clear 
are so convinced that, you know, Shang-Chi couldn't fight, right? Or that Sean couldn't fight, right? So, and then on top of that, he was also very quite content parking cars for a living and not wanting anything more than to drink and sing karaoke with Katie. So being a hero was the last thing on his mind. He kept running away. And that's what peacekeepers always do. Um, peacekeepers are, they, you know, advancing up the ladder of success, they're happy with status quo. So be it, you know, being a valet, being it, you know, working as a waitress or whatever like that, they're okay, right? And also, if you're wondering, um, Spider-Man, he's also a type nine peacekeeper. So, um, and uh, again, they, they really don't do well with conflict of any type. And that's why Spider-Man too, you know, he, he didn't know what to do. When conflict hit him in the face, he didn't know how to like, you know, deal with it. He's not the real type of leader. He's always shying away from it. And that's why he doesn't want to lead, you know, the Avengers or, or, or be that person. He's always trying to give up the role, if you notice that. Now, why don't we, now, now, why don't we move on to Katie? So Katie is your typical type seven stereotypical enthusiast. So type sevens, you know, um, they love to have a good time. They really, really just love to have a good time. Um, you ever met those types of people who just can't settle down, you know, go from job to job? Not because one job is better than the other, but just because, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity or, or, or something, you know, worth it. You know, it's, a, it's more about you know, living up the experience. So that's what Katie is all about. So she loves being a valet because she can, you know, park cars recklessly, you know, and she's a-okay with skipping out on her job to go on a mission with Shang-Chi without asking any questions, without even telling her employer. So she says, I'm going, I don't care, right? So, so she really doesn't care that she may not even come back to a job. And we know those types of people, right? You, you, know, you know those types of people who just are like, you know, habitual vacationers, right? I'm going to go to, you know, California tomorrow. I'm going to go to the Mexico. I'm going to go to like, you know, uh, Europe and all those different things. I'm going to go backpacking. And how are you going to pay for this? Oh, I don't know. I'll figure out when I get back. You know, these guys really, you know, don't even have a permanent residence, even sometimes even a permanent country that they're staying in. They're just always moving. They're so fun. Because they're so fun in real life and because they're so unpredictable. And it's the same reason why we love them in movies. They're just unpredictable. And they're not stupid on any level. They're quite smart, like how Katie was. She's always very, very smart, right? But they can't sit still. And that's what she is. And uh, I always like to put, you know, type sevens in a scripts because they're just fun, lovable characters. Um, and it's always really fun to put a scientist as a type seven because they're just willing to do anything in the, in the name of science, right? So they may even experiment on themselves or experiment on, like the nutty professor, right, was um, a type seven, right? He, he'll do anything, right? So, and they always get themselves into trouble, into trouble because they're always curious, okay? All right, moving on to the, la the last character I'm gonna analyze here, that's Wen Wu. Um, he's the Mandarin, and he is your, proto your prototypical, stereotypical um, type eight challenger. So out of all the characters in this movie, um, we got to see the full character arc of Wen Wu, the Mandarin, uh, from when he was at his worst, you know, conquering people, killing people, and, uh, and when he was at his best as a family man. And then after that, we got to see how he chose to play his cards after he lost his wife and children. So again, we, we got to see a really interesting character right here, right? But under it all, 
he was still a type 8. So what, what is a type 8 personality? Well, type 8s, you know, they're all about power. They are natural-born leaders. Um, rules to type 8s are not black and white. They're more like a shade of gray. And um, that's if they believe in rules at all. Now, at their best, when they are at their best, their healthiest, uh, they tend to help mold others into stronger versions of themselves um, by acting or playing the role of a coach who dishes out tough love. Now, we met these people before, right? Those very strong alpha personalities. When they don't shy away from telling you, if you messed up, they will tell it to your face and say, you know what? You messed up. You better fix it. And if you don't, I'm either going to whoop your ass or I'm going to be really tough on you. And what do you do? You change. So, you know, a lot of times football coaches are like this. Drill sergeants are like this. You know, sometimes, you know, you have your, your, your type eight, uh, mother, Chinese mothers, right? <laughs> Who are like this sometimes to their kids, right? You don't get that. No A minus. You have to get an A plus. And if you don't, no going out. Right now, my mom wasn't like that, but I know a lot of mother Chinese mothers who do who were like that. They call them tiger moms, right? Remember that? Okay. Now here's the interesting. This guy, um, <laughs> my favorite writer, I say that sarcastically, uh, David Callahan. Um, he said in an interview that you know Wen Wu was a very difficult character, right? Uh, character to write, you know, because he said that, you know, he was a good guy. You have to make him I mean, a good guy, yet bad guy. You have to make him likable. You know, he had so many layers to him. <laughs> His character is stereotypical type eight personality. So if you know about personality types, and that's why I always teach this when I teach writing or storytelling, you have to know personality types. So writing a character like Wenwu is easy. In fact, it's really, really easy because, again, it's not really out of the box. I mean, you just have to write what a type 8 does when they're unhealthy. So, and a type 8 would do exactly what Wenwu did, Wenwu did in real life or in fiction. So, and in fiction, we have different versions of Wenwu. We have Venom, right? Wolverine, Doc Ock, Deadpool, uh, you know, uh, Martin Riggs from like a Lethal Weapon, um, all of who were type 8s who broke many rules in the name of love. They would do anything for the ones they love, revenge the people for the in the name of love, right? Do all of things, you know, that break the again, you know, Deadpool broke the rules. His love, his uh, the love of his life, you know, um, died. And what did he do? He ended up stealing that time belt or something like that, going back into time and then saving her after the movie was done, breaking the rules, right? You know, so all these different types of things. So um, anyway, remember that type eights are all about power. And uh, all about strength, and they have a fear of, of looking weak or being weak. And that's why uh, a lot of times they're often very selfish, they're compulsive lawbreakers, they can be stubborn, and if they have a flock to lead, they can lead them down the wrong path. So, again, just to, be, just to reiterate, writing a character like Wenwu is not difficult. So when you know, someone like you know, Dave Callahan says, oh, it's very difficult to do, no. In fact, there's nine different personality types out there. I talked about them, right? And if you learn each of these, like the back of your hand, like how I do, you can analyze yourself. You can create characters. You can analyze other characters. You can analyze movies. And what happens is that when you know, when you know characters so well, 
you don't write the movie, your characters write it for you. All right? And that's why I, I always teach this. I always teach the Enneagram when it comes to write, screenwriting. You know, if you learn the Enneagram really well, <laughs> and I tell you what, you know, um, it's one of the best way, one of the best tools to analyze behavior. All right. If you learn the Enneagram really, really well, uh, you know, you can write as good as anyone. I mean, you're like about three quarters the way there. So my last thoughts about this. Um, now, remember, the ultimate goal of any professional storyteller is for your skills to go unnoticed. It's kind of like magic. When you do it well, your audience believes anything you feed them. Now, the faster you can get your audience to buy into your beautiful lie, and that's what it is. Fiction, storytelling is always a beautiful lie. And the longer you can hold them there, the more likely they'll come out of that theater smiling, all right? Or closing the book, they're going to come out and they're going to smile. So make sure you do this by creating characters that are relatable, you know, situations and solutions that have to be believable, even if it's fantasy. All right. So if you're going to create like a talking robot, well, you better surely explain that science really, really well in that fantasy world. You can't just say, like in Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, um, she learned how to fly without any training. Now, remember, Superman had to train himself. He, he kind of messed up. But Captain Marvel didn't mess up flying. All she had to do was remember that men... Hold, will always hold her back. So she, so she just had to, you know, embrace her inner feminist and say that men are holding me, be, holding me back. And that's with, once I figure out how to, you know, come to terms with that, I can be all the Captain Marvel I can. That's not believable. And that's why people didn't like that movie. All right. So now, even though I dis dissect all of these films from a technical aspect right now, I just want to let you know that um, I only do this to learn and then to teach. Primarily, I'm much of a fan of great storytelling as anyone else. And I bought into Shang-Chi from the very beginning. All right. Um, I checked out really, really quick. And I enjoyed it. I was out there laughing, clapping, you know, I, enjoying every single thing, buying into every single thing um, Destin told me to buy into, which is, you know, Destin mean, meaning the director, okay? So, and I'm definitely buying this stream, this video stream of Shang-Chi when it reaches Amazon, once it's available. So, uh, uh, you know, that's what I have to say about this movie. So overall, grade A, straight down the board. <laughs> Alrighty, people, it is currently 2.28 a.m., September 11th. Oh, what a day to remember, too, right? But uh, I'm going to check out now. Thanks for listening all the way through. Hope you enjoyed it, and I will talk to you later. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I had fun podcasting. If you like what you hear, please share my podcast. If you can't find me, look on your favorite podcast platform and look for BBQ2 Movies. That's BBQ T.O. Movies. Yeah, the T.O. is not the number two, by the way. It is T.O., like Terrell Owens. So that's BBQ2 Movies. Catch you around. <laughs>